This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Now, this show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some free ebooks and drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you wanna know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to The Art of Charm Toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com slash toolbox. That's where we've got the fundamentals of dating and attraction such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, including some episodes on breakups and relationship management. That's where all the basics are, so get a handle on that first. We've got boot camps running every single month here in Hollywood, California. Details on those at theartofcharm.com. Looking forward to meeting all you guys here at AOC. Today we're talking with Adam Gilbert from My Body Tutor. He knows the psychology of weight loss better than anyone I've ever met. And if you're not interested in losing weight, don't stop right now because this is a show about psychology much more than it is about weight loss. We're gonna talk about why discomfort is actually our compass why people sabotage us and why we sabotage ourselves for that matter, and why consistency is so hard even though we know deep down it's really the key to success. We're also gonna talk about how to tell if you're hungry for food or just for something else like something emotional or you've got some other craving and mental roadblocks and limiting beliefs and how they hold us back not only in fitness but in everything else. We're gonna wrap with a fashion tip from Aaron Marino. So enjoy this one from Adam of MyBodyTutor.com. Adam Gilbert from My Body Tutor. Tell us, a lot of guys have been on here talking about fitness, we've talked about weight loss, we've talked about a lot of things on here. You focus on the psychology of weight loss, and I think that's really important because a lot of people can choke down vegetables for a couple of weeks, walk on the treadmill for a couple of weeks or even months, and then as soon as those habits die, if their mindsets aren't right, they're back ballooning up to crazy amounts of weight. And, and one of the core principles here at The Art of Charm that the audience has heard a million times is that basically your beliefs influence your actions which influence your results. So if you eat vegetables because your trainer's making you do it, you're gonna cheat, you're gonna fall off the wagon all the time, but if you eat vegetables because you've basically developed a mindset and belief system that vegetables taste good because they're good for you, you're gonna have a much easier time sticking to the idea that you've gotta eat X amount of those every day instead of Cheetos or whatever. Absolutely. The thing is, if the only thing you're changing, you know, start a diet plan is the food you're eating. You know, if you go from one diet plan to the next, and the only thing you're changing is the food, you're not really changing anything, right? You really have to change the way you think and react to food. You have to change your relationship with food. You have to change your mindset. And that's what we focus on because, as you just said, willpower is not sustainable. It's right. very fleeting. It's a limited resource. So that's a big part of what we work on is how do you change the way you think and react to food? How do you change the way you view exercise? And how do you find that compelling motivation that's not just a short-term thing? I talk about this a lot when I talk to entrepreneurs that discipline only counts when you need it. Because everybody's like, 
I'm so passionate about this. This is great. I'm like, yeah, you feel that way right now. But tell us how you feel when you're 35 grand in the hole. Your employees are stealing from you or they're not showing up to work. You've got a ton of stuff to do. You don't even know if it's going to work. And basically, and it's raining outside, right? You're not going to want to get out of bed. Yep. I always say success happens when you don't feel like doing anything. It's easy to get up when you're feeling good, when you're motivated. But of course, you know, that is not an everyday thing. And I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of outsiders realize when, you know, looking in on entrepreneurs is that like, it's always rainbows and butterflies every day. But there's a lot of just grind of just everyday living that's not so, you know, glamorous, you know, react to those days and respond to those days. Oh, I agree. A lot of entrepreneurs, the reason they think that is because there's all these other entrepreneurs selling them books on products and podcasts and all this garbage about being entrepreneurs. They're telling them, this is great. Live your passion. Work from the beach. It's all a bill of goods and a bunch of crap. But it makes money to tell people, oh, start your own podcast and you're going to have sponsors (laughs) and you're going to make a hundred grand a month. No, you're probably going to fail. And it's not going to be that popular and you're going to grind for years before you get any traction. Oh, but don't worry. You're going to quit before then and move on to something else that is perceived to be easier, but actually has the same set of problems, including a bunch of new ones that you're not experienced with now. Well said. So back up and enough bitching about that, though. How did you get into this? I know you and I used to have corpo jobs. We used to be suits. Then what happened? Well, I mean, you know, from day one of my corporate job, you know, had a serious stomachache because I knew it was not what I wanted to be doing, what I was meant to be doing. In college, I had a few businesses and I realized firsthand and I experienced firsthand that belief, you know, and that passion of loving what you do every day. And when I was in my corporate job, walking to work every day in New York City, I didn't ever feel that, you know, so it was like, how do I get that back? Health and fitness, nutrition psychology and all that has always been a huge obsession of mine um, for as long as I can remember. I mean, literally, I've been working out and into this stuff since I was in fourth grade. You know, I had this idea, you know, I was always kind of the go-to guy in my corporate job, always giving people health and diet plans and all that good stuff. And it was always the same story. It was always like, I love the plan you made for me, but I got caught up with my kids or I got caught up with happy hour or I got caught up with, you know, reality TV or whatever it was. You know, these people clearly knew what to do. I had given them a plan, but they weren't able to stick with it. They weren't able to take consistent action. So I realized something had to be done. I quit my full-time job in January of 2007. Everyone thought I was absolutely nuts. And I started this in February of 2007. I've been doing this ever since. And it's been an amazing, challenging, rewarding ride, though. It really has been. Good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. I mean, it sounds like you know the psychology of weight loss More than most people. I mean, and that's very important because, again, the beliefs are what influence your actions, which are what influence your results. It doesn't matter if you know all the latest, coolest body hacks or whatever. Biohacking doesn't mean squat if you don't want to get out of bed and hit the gym. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no question. I think that is part of our secret sauce besides, you know, the daily accountability we offer in the system is that we really understand the mindset and psychology of weight loss better than anyone. You know, and a perfect example, right? Like, You know, I wrote an article recently about why people, you know, fear losing weight. And one of the reasons is they fear cheating on their significant other. Really? You know, let's let's say you're in a relationship, you know, let's say you're 15, 20 pounds overweight or whatever it might be. If you lose that weight, you might start getting a lot more attention. Your ability to attract someone else is going to certainly increase. These are real reasons why people are fearful of losing weight. Are they conscious of that? Because it seems like... You're going to go, oh, no, I love my wife. I, I would never do that. Is this some, how did you even find that out, first of all? This is definitely a subconscious thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I work with a lot of successful people. It's just something I kind of intuitively felt. I could just sense it. No one has ever said it to me. But when I said it to a few clients, it was like an aha moment. Especially people that are on the road, they're constantly traveling, they're constantly meeting people. Their ability, their access to people is greater than most, right? When I said it, it was like, wow, that really hit home for them. You know, it just, it was a big thing. And it was that realization, I think, was a very enlightening moment for them and really helped them understand why, no matter what tactics they were following or trying to follow, they weren't able to. Right, because they're going to sabotage themselves because they love their wife, which is a process that they're not cognizant of. Exactly. Right. Or another example, like, you know, a bunch of guys, you know, let's say you're the funny, overweight guy, you know, and all of a sudden you start trying to lose weight, you know, cutting down, you know, you're drinking, et cetera. And you don't necessarily have to do that. And that's something we do work on. You still could enjoy yourself. But let's say you're starting to watch yourself. You know, people in your group are going to start looking down on you possibly. Right. And that's a real fear. Right. 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 This is a very similar concept of what we teach at the Art of Charm, because a guy will go after a program and be like, Hey, to all of his friends, you know, I know how to talk to girls and I know how to make business connections and I'm going to move up at work. And his coworkers are suddenly like, look at this brown noser networking with the boss. Oh, trying to get lunches with people. Like, who do you think you are? And you go, why don't my friends want to have lunch with me anymore? This is whack. You know, they're ignoring you. And then you're out with your friends at the bar and they go, you look like an idiot. You're talking to a bunch of girls. They probably just think you're a dumbass. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure that, you know, they like me. I got their phone numbers, and we want to hang out, and they want us to hang out. Now, whatever, dude, you're a dick. You're just showing off. So suddenly you go, well, subconsciously you say, and not so subconsciously maybe, you say, well, I can either not have these friends anymore that I've known for years that I feel comfortable with, that I've always liked, and who've always been there for me for the most part, or I can enjoy these new skills that I have and be uncomfortable a lot and be lonely at least short term, it's a tough choice. So sometimes people stop practicing their skill set because they're not strong enough to be aware of this process. And being cognizant of it is a great start. Bingo. Going, oh, okay, I know that if I lose weight or I know that if I start having the ability to meet tons of new people, that some of the people who are already in my life might be uncomfortable with it. A lot of times it's not even people who are trying to bring you down because it, it highlights their own failures. Of course, we've said this before as well just to relate it to weight loss, I'm sure you see this where somebody loses weight and their partner goes, I'm going to make us a nice fatty rib dinner. And they're like, I don't want that. It's not in the diet. Oh, stop. You don't want to eat my cooking. I'm offended because they want their partner to be fat because they're worried about them taking off. It's their own insecurity. They'll sabotage you. Exactly right. It makes them feel better. Exactly. Not only that, but if you lose a bunch of weight and your partner chooses not to, because it is a mindset thing, you become this fit person. Not only are they worried about you taking off, but every day that they look at you, it's a big highlighter that highlights circles and underlines. This could have been you, but you're too fucking lazy. And so you didn't yeah. bother. Right. It's like people hate people, right? Like friends I have or whatever. It's like, oh, I hate that guy. First off, they don't even know the person. What they really hate is the idea of that person because that person is just a reflection of themselves. Right. Right. And it's exactly what you're saying. Listen, I'm a student of behavior change. That's what I teach, helping people change their habits and behaviors. And the easiest way by far to change yourself is to change your environment. Of course, sometimes that's not always doable. But if you can or if you're, let's just say, in college or starting out and you really are forming your social circle, choose wisely. Because, you know, as we've all heard, I mean, you only go as high as your five closest friends, right? Exactly. You know, there's no question about that. You know, when I was out of college two years and I was, you know, going to quit my job and I did eventually, 
you know, if every one of my friends was an entrepreneur, it would have been a no brainer. It would have been so much easier. But every one of my friends was working in corporate America. So it made the decision that much harder. Absolutely. Of course. And so you start to follow those paths because some of the work is done for you. There's a support network in place and it happens subconsciously. When I started law school, I didn't even want to be a lawyer. Suddenly I'm on Wall Street doing finance. I mean, how did that happen? Yeah. The way that happened was all my friends were doing that and they were like, hey, you should talk to this guy and network with that guy. Oh, this is a good firm. You should check that out. Up until the last minute, I didn't even sign up for job interviews and I showed up to look for a potential internship and I literally had a friend who dragged me to another guy and said, hey, give him a copy of your resume. You should go say hi to Jeremy. And that's how I got my job. Yeah. You know, and it was just like all roads lead to whatever you're surrounding yourself with, whether you like it or not. Yeah. I mean, that's why I always say discomfort is our compass. You know, of course, if you keep doing the more comfortable thing, then you're going to keep getting the types of results you're getting. And if you chase that discomfort, if you embrace it and go down a different path, of course, you're going to grow and evolve and, you know, get closer to the person you ideally want to become. I, I can't agree more, honestly. And I think the last reason, just to go back why people sabotage us, I think a lot of times even people that love and care about us will sabotage us, not even just out of jealousy. To this day, running a multi-seven-figure business, to this day, my mom will go, if I come up with really good news, like, oh my God, these television guys came over and they're pitching us and you know we're on the front page of iTunes and all that stuff. She'll go, well, just don't get too excited. And I'm <laughs> thinking, why wouldn't I get excited? Right. Well, the whole thing could fall apart any minute, you know, and it's just like, that's her own thing. She just doesn't want me to be disappointed. She's actually trying to protect me. So she's kind of talking me out of like, well, I don't know if you should do that. It seems like it's really risky to, you know, invest in this or to do that or to leverage yourself like this. And it's not because she doesn't want me to have a big win if I'm right and have a right. big payday. It's because she doesn't want me to go, oh, I'm broke and I got to move into the basement and my whole life has been a waste and I want to hang myself. That's what she really doesn't want. She's projecting her own fears onto you. Right? Exactly. And and I, I had the same thing with my mom. And uh, it's funny, my mom's, you know, a former English teacher and she always told her students to go after their dreams. And it was like, for me, actually, you know, she didn't do that for me. For me, it was always, you know, get a safe and secure job. Because of course, and I love my mom to death, she wanted security and comfort for me. You know, the only way sometimes to really get to where you want to be is to give up that security and comfort. You don't always have to do that, but sometimes you do. You know, my mom was simply projecting her fear onto me. And it was really, really hard because I didn't, never really truly had the blessing of my mom of saying, go for it, go for it. There was a lot of fear instilled in me and I had to really work through that. You know, so it's really interesting. Going back to the sabotage, you remember, I don't know if you ever read the book, The Paradox of Choice, where they cite that study, you know, just it's human behavior, right? Like there was a study, I think it was people could earn either $50,000 themselves while others were earning $25,000. Right. Or they can earn $100,000 a year themselves, but they'd be surrounded by people earning 200000 So they can either earn 100000 themselves while other people earning two hundred. Or earn fifty themselves while others are earning twenty five. That's and right. Most, and most people chose earning fifty grand a year while others were earning twenty five. Even though if they, you know, they could have doubled their income by earning a hundred. Just to be clear, we're not talking about a world in which you earn half of what everybody else is. We're just talking about those are all your coworkers and the people that live near you. You can still get a hundred thousand dollars worth of like purchasing power out of that income. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. So people chose social value over money. Exactly, exactly. And that's what it is, right? All right, back to the show. When other people are doing what you really, really want to do deep down, that creates cognitive dissonance, right? 
There's a part of you that wants to do it or wishes you can do it. And there's a part of you that can't or wants to remain the same. And the only way to get rid of that discomfort, that dissonance, is to rationalize it, right? You have to say, you have to either take action, which is the hardest part, or you have to get the person that's causing you that discomfort to stop. And that's what they do. And and that's why they sabotage you. I think being aware of it makes it a lot easier when your friends and loved ones, you know, are sabotaging you because it's human nature. It's not that they don't love you or support you. It's just truly human nature. And if you can understand what it is, then it's much easier to just move forward. Excellent. So being aware of it is the key. And then, of course, being able to resist it is a function of being aware of it. Because instead of your friends going or your wife going, you're offending me by not liking my cooking, you go, ah, okay, I see what's going on here. I'll tell you what, I'll have a little bit of it and I'll save some for later, but I'm going to feel really bad if I eat this because it's not within my diet. I'm going to save you some. Thanks so much, honey. You can handle it in a different way. Yeah. Right. And then if she forces it on you, you can then have a nice little sit down about why she's trying to screw up your diet. What's the saying? Like, you know, you're not successful until you start getting some haters, right? There's a reason for that, right? Because they're just trying to make themselves feel better. It's nothing to do with you. It's just, you know, what you represent to them and how you're making them feel. Oh, yeah. No, whenever I get a one star iTunes review, I'm a little sad. And then I go, ah, wait a minute. This is a person who doesn't like us because we represent the idea that they could change and they've chosen to be a miserable putz instead. Right, um, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, again, that's their cognitive business, and they have to get rid of it somehow. So rather than taking action, which is the hardest thing to do, Harder. they have to get rid of you or try to get rid of you, which makes them feel better. Speaking of what's difficult, consistency is really key, of course, learning any skill, a language, a social skill, a diet. Why is being consistent so freaking hard, even when we systemize things? I mean, everybody knows that's the key to success. How come we can't just buckle down and friggin' do it? Like, even for me, learning to, like, eat healthy vegetables, even developing habits and systems to put that in place, it's almost like I'm fighting myself sometimes. You know, I know I gotta be consistent with it. Whenever I am consistent with it, even for a short amount of time, I get massive results. How come it's so hard for us to adopt this? Yeah, well, I mean, it's funny. I mean, consistency is truly the key to success, and I think one of my missions is to dispel this myth that there's this secret to getting in shape. The secret to getting in shape is eating right, exercising, and doing those two things consistently. What is that? That ad, three weird tips, will cause your waistline to shrink by four inches in two weeks? It's not about a magic exercise contraption. It's not about eating these miraculous foods that have just been discovered for the first time in the history of the world. It's none of that. No more Asai Berry Thigh Master sessions, right? Exactly. Yeah, I know. It's, it's sad. It is sad. But, you know, it's about the consistency. It's about doing the, the tried and true over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what? That is very, very boring and unappealing to a lot of people because if you work in an office or if you work anywhere or you're just in life, people are attracted, again, this is human nature, to the new, right? To the latest fad diet, to the latest fad exercise program, whatever it is. They're naturally inclined to want to check out the new. And of course, that's easier though because consistency equals discomfort. It is uncomfortable to do the right things over and over again. And again, without, you know, the right support, without the accountability, without having a really a system in place, it's very hard to consistently do the right things, really. So the key is systemizing it. Big surprise for anybody that's listening to the show. That's what we talk about here 24-7. It just seems like it's the elusive obvious, right? It's like you've got to do it consistently. You've got to systemize it. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about actual weight loss on this show, I guess. But I think it's more important to look at the psychology and the processes that's really where a lot of people have a hard time differentiating because it's so much more tempting to go, no, I'm going to join this thing because this guy promises results or I'm going to buy this thing because it says it will do this and we're going to learn about why that's a bunch of BS but also not only that but why you believe it. 
No, the tactics are a very, very small part of it. I mean, they're, they're critically important. And, you know, one of the things I say is before you make any change, especially your weight loss is, you know, if you can't see yourself doing this in five years from now, then it's not worth starting, right? Like a shake diet or a cookie diet or whatever it might be, you know, clearly that's not a sustainable thing. So I think before you get to the consistency part, you have to choose a plan that is actually sustainable, that is actually practical, right? One that you think you can actually stick with. Oh, so one sort of enemy of consistency for me is, this sounds so dumb, but I think you're gonna understand it. My girlfriend thinks I'm a dumbass when I say things like this, uh, but when I work out or when I'm biking or when I'm walking around, I often think I'm hungry, but I'm just thirsty. Yeah, it makes total sense. And, you know, I think that's, again, the mindset, right? That's changing your relationship with food and exercise, right? So understanding the difference between physical hunger versus emotional hunger. You know, physical hunger is, you know, you feel it in your stomach a little bit, you feel it in your head, it's a gradual sensation, whereas emotional hunger is like, you know, a sudden urge, right? You crave specific Chinese food. food. It always happens when I'm in Chinatown. It's weird. They're really thirsty and hungry in Chinatown for no reason. Yeah, you know, you're craving specific foods. With emotional hunger, you can have snack after snack and nothing is actually satisfying. You're not physically hungry, you're emotionally hungry. And, you know, one of my favorite tactics to use, I call it the broccoli test, right? I'll ask myself, would I eat broccoli right now? Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and if I wouldn't eat broccoli, then I know I'm not physically hungry. I'm just emotionally hungry. I'm eating to suppress emotions. And something to keep in mind is when we have cravings or urges, it's never about the food. It's about what the food allows us to avoid. And understanding this and having these tactics in place and these frameworks is, is powerful because, you know, most people feel hungry and then they just eat. And that's why most people are overweight. Dude, this is brilliant. Okay, I want to go into this a little bit more because... That is an amazing test. Now, here's the problem. I could probably be dying of starvation and still not want to eat broccoli, but I can see why you could do it with any healthy food probably, right? Yeah. So like, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm still hungry after dinner. And then Jenny will be like, we have carrot sticks. And I'm like, I'm good, right? But if she's like, we have charcuterie, like nice meat and cheese, I'm like, yeah, that sounds perfect. Right. Meanwhile, I'm eating that after dinner, even though I just ate a steak and a salad, it's like, Carrot sticks, uh, I guess I'm not hungry. Maybe I should just have a glass of water. If you want a specific food, you're not physically hungry. If you eat anything, then you're hungry. Then you're physically hungry. Oh, man, that's brilliant. Because now I'm thinking, man, the last time I was so hungry that I would have eaten pretty much anything. I mean, that's a rare occurrence for me. It really is. And it's amazing when you start paying attention. You know, the, the key really is pausing before you eat. And here's another powerful question. Ask yourself, am I hungry or am I eating to change the way I feel? And if you start doing that, you'll notice so many times that you're not actually physically hungry. You're just eating for the sake of eating. You're eating for entertainment. You're eating for boredom. You're eating to suppress, you know, some feelings. You're eating to suppress ambition. There's so many reasons. And again, this is a big part of what we work on. And it is why we get the results we do. Because as we talked about, I could tell you all the tactics in the world. There's, you know, a library and bookstores of books and whatever. Those are tactics. But books don't change behavior. They don't change habits. And that's because they don't address the mindset and psychology of it, which is what I do with weight loss. And you clearly do with what you're doing. Wait a minute. Let's go back to this because everybody's heard about eating to suppress emotions. You know, when my boyfriend dumped me, I'm going to eat a gallon of ice cream. It's a cliche, right? Right. Right. What's this about eating to suppress ambition? Yeah. So this is something I kind of realized and discovered in the last few years, just, you know, kind of working again with just very successful people. And again, we work with all sorts of types of people, but when you have a lot of ambition, it becomes uncomfortable, right? You have this desire, you have this energy to just do more, to make a bigger impact. And sometimes you don't know what to do. You don't know where to channel that, how to channel it. And either you can do the harder thing, which is to kind of 
work through that uncertainty and work through that discomfort and just figure out what's next. And it just becomes easier to kind of cover that emotion up to suppress it, right? It becomes easier to just lay in the couch and watch TV and get lost in reality TV than it does to actually take action. A part of that is eating because we just, you know, instead of feeling uncomfortable about not knowing what to do with our business or life or career or whatever it is, we wind up feeling uncomfortable about the junk food we just ate. So you're basically trading discomfort for food, discomfort for your career or your life, for disdain for, you know, how you feel about yourself because you just ate too much, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's a very powerful thing for a lot of people is when they realize they have all this ambition, all this unlocked ambition, and they don't feel like they're making this big impact or big enough impact, that becomes very, very uncomfortable. And then, of course, that uncomfortable feeling is suppressed by eating. Right. Eating, watching TV, all sorts of things. Is there dopamine released watching TV? I mean, I know eating, yeah, you're getting some sort of like serotonin, dopamine thing, right? Is that what's going on? What's with the TV? Absolutely. Well, I think it's just, you know, basically you're trading your own thoughts for, you know, kind of getting lost in other people's thoughts. It's really as simple as that, right? It's much easier to watch other people's lives than live your own life. It's just easier. You know, and humans are, by nature, are attracted to pleasure and, you know, repel against discomfort. So whatever is the easier thing to do in the moment, that's what people do usually, unfortunately. And it's human nature, though, but it's just what people do. And TV, eating, whatever it might be, you know, drugs, sex, all these things are things that people do to kind of suppress these root causes. That's the real key, right? Getting to the root cause of what you're feeling. You know, there's usually a root cause. That's a big part of what we do. Do you think that most of your clients slash most obese people mostly dealing with some sort of actual root cause or do you think they just have a crappy system and bad habits? I, it's definitely a mix. I mean, there's certain people that definitely have deep-seated psychological challenges they're working through. And there's some people that just, you know, want to lose 15 pounds. They love going out with their friends and, you know, eating burgers and fries and whatever right. it is. Guilty. And so it's, it runs across the gamut. It's not only people that are severely, you know, psychologically depressed or have issues, not at all. But even so, even the person who's on a superficial level seems to have it all together and just has 15 pounds to lose. There's usually some, you know, hints of these things. It's just not as severe, you know, for some as others. Interesting. So what kind of other mental roadblocks slash limiting beliefs do we have that hold us back? Not just in fitness, but with everything. Let's try and be as general as we can here, because Honestly, I see a lot of this at The Art of Charm. We have a lot of belief systems in place, and we work on focusing on root causes. We change belief systems, because again, beliefs influence actions, which influence results. Sounds like we're on the same page there. There are a lot of mental roadblocks slash limiting beliefs. What do you see with your clients, especially, and what are some of the more common ones? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing, you know, this applies to any facet in life. Certainly being fit is a wonderful thing. It's just a beautiful thing in and of itself. But being fit to me is about, allowing you to do everything else much better, right? Because when you're more fit, when you feel good about yourself, it snowballs into every other area of your life. You know, just the examples. I mean, you know, I think it comes down to fear of success, fear of failure. Those are two huge things. And, you know, fear of success sounds so counterintuitive. Right. You know, most people think, oh, I'm scared to fail. But fear of success is actually more of a roadblock, really, for people than fear of failure, actually. Why why would you say that? Well, I think, you know, it's much easier to be where you are now than to become that person you dream of, right? It's scary. It's scary to be that dream version of yourself. You just, by nature, you're going to potentially be open for more criticism, you know, people bashing you. I mean, that's scary to a lot of people. So that's a big part of it is just 
you know, being scared of your desires to cheat on your significant other, right? That's a real thing. Or, you know, changing your identity within your group of friends. Let's say, you know, you were sexually abused as a child. And one thing you do is gain a lot of weight so you don't get attention from people. I mean, that person is definitely going to have a fear of success because to them, being overweight certainly has its benefits. And for many people, as counterintuitive as it sounds, being overweight is the solution, which is crazy. That makes no sense, but it makes total sense. Now back to the good stuff. Instead of being a guy who cheats on his wife, you literally become a person who can't do that in order to avoid it because you're yeah. just not attractive enough and you're staying there on purpose. That's a miserable place to be, I would imagine. Yeah, here's an exercise I do with my clients and I think this can you know, really help you know, for your readers right now is whether it's weight loss or anything, even in business or relationships, you know, take a piece of paper and write five reasons why you want to be successful and be as specific and as aspirational as possible. And the magic happens when you do that for the five reasons why you don't want to be. Five reasons why you don't want to be, that is really where, you know, you kind of get those aha moments and those enlightening things where you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that, right? So five things why you want to be successful, you know, why you want to lose weight or why you want to get, you know, improve your career or why you want to, you know, meet that girl, whatever it might be. And then five reasons why you don't. Really, really powerful exercise and it helps a lot. When you identify why you're scared of it, you can get rid of a lot of those limiting beliefs and those mental roadblocks. That's kind of genius because you have to be really honest with yourself and go, I don't want to be physically fit because it requires a lot of habit change that I don't have the discipline to do. Or I don't want to be physically fit because my wife is fat and if I'm fat, then we're at the same level and we have all of our friends are fat. I don't want to feel like I don't fit in. And then you read that and you go, what? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you're killing yourself because you don't want your friends to think that you're too skinny to hang out with them. It's retarded. And yeah. You want to so hear something that's, that's pretty powerful? I think you might like this. I would like that. Okay. So here's the reason why some people don't want to lose weight. Or here's the reason why some people don't want to grow their business. And it's so simple, but it's so powerful. On some level, you don't feel that your life is going to be better than it is. Let's say for you, for instance, your business. If your business grows, on some level, you might feel like, oh my God, I'm not going to have any free time. I'm always going to be working. I'm not going to be able to do anything I want to do, right? That's a real belief and that's a real thing that if you don't get through that, you're always going to sabotage your success. So if you don't truly believe your life is going to be better than it currently is, it's going to be very, very hard no matter what tactics you follow to get to where you want to be. So that's, again, why it's really important to identify those five reasons, though. I start with five, why you want to be successful. Because until you truly believe your life will be better than it is now, then it's going to be very, very hard to get to where you want to be. It's going to be very, very hard to follow any program. Uh, yeah, okay, I don't think my life's really going to be better. How do you convince yourself that your life's going to be better? I mean, that seems like if it's not self-evident, you're, you're kind of in trouble. I mean, do you have to then visualize what would make your life better or like that it will be and here's why. I mean, how do you, how do you even do that? Like an example for, you know, with me and my clients is like, you know, they get that six pack or they lose the weight or they have a flat stomach or whatever it is, right? So that's definitely a benefit. They look better, right? They're more confident. They're better looking. It, it just snowballs or, you know, they have more job options. So many things that come with losing weight. But on some level, they might be fearful of giving up food. So part of them maybe loves coming home and just digging into that pint of ice cream. Part of them loves coming home and, you know, ordering that 
those fries and pizza and burgers and whatever they want and just eating whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Right. So until we reconcile that difference and really understand that maybe they still can partake in their favorite foods, maybe just not as often, really visualize how much their life will be better. Again, the tactics don't matter. So I think it's dealing with their fears first. So what exactly are you fearful? Okay. You know, a big fear is, you know, for people looking to lose weight is I'm never going to be able to eat my favorite foods again. That is false. If you have the right plan in place, my clients love and enjoy their favorite food all the time. Okay. So that's a big part of it. And it's also understanding and identifying how your life will be that much better. Wow. Okay. So you really have to put yourself in the position of here's what I could have, but I don't have it because dot, dot, dot. I'm sabotaging myself or I'm refusing to acknowledge this. That way you have sort of a real idea of what might, how it might look in the future if you actually put your mind to it slash got your shit together. Yeah, exactly. As you've kind of alluded to, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. And again, being brutally honest goes back to discomfort. It's uncomfortable. There's no question about it. And that is why I always say discomfort is your compass. Whenever you have a chance to face discomfort, a simple example is let's say you're trying to lose weight. And you have a plate of cookies in front of you. The more comfortable thing to do, the easier thing to do would be, of course, to eat those cookies. The more uncomfortable thing to do would be to skip those cookies in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And doing that is going to lead us to where we want to go, right? Let's say you're at a bar and there's a you know, good-looking girl. The easier thing to do, of course, would be to look at your phone and wait for your friends to show up. <laughs> yeah, the harder right. thing to do would be to go up to that girl and start making some small talk, right? That is definitely two examples you know, that prove that discomfort leads to success. It leads us to where we want to be. So that's why I always like to say with my clients, discomfort is our compass. And it applies to any facet in life. Wow. I love the discomfort is our compass because sometimes it's hard to identify the right thing, but subconsciously, you know, one sounds kind of crummy and the other one sounds easy. You wake up in the morning and you don't want to get up early and go to the gym or you don't want to get up early and start work and work on your business. You want to roll over and you start that process of rationalization like, no, like I can just move my dentist appointment and he's always cool if I'm a little late so I can totally just get away with rolling over for a little bit and the uncomfortable thing to do is go, all right, I'm up, I'm going to shower, I'm going to make some coffee and I'm going to get started on my day because I got a lot of stuff to do if I want to move this project forward or this business forward or get to the gym on time and fulfill my promise to myself. Exactly. As I always say, you know, we spend more energy resisting a task than if we were to just get it done anyway. Right, Because the yeah. mental angst, the discomfort mentally we feel from not doing what we really want to do is way more overwhelming and it wears on us than if we were to just get it done. I've watched two engineers argue about a test that we probably could have done in five minutes. They yeah. spent like 45 minutes arguing about the potential result. And me and another entrepreneur, you know, business owner, were sitting there going, am I missing something? Why don't they just freaking do this? Right. And we'll see the answer. And that's really... the. the and we sort of were laughing about that at, at dinner afterwards because we were like, the difference between engineers and entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs try stuff without even thinking about what the result might be because we want to test it, see if it works, and then dot, dot, right. dot, profit. And the engineers are like, no, it's not going to work because of this, 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 and this. And you know, we're sitting there going, try it, just try it. And they're like, right. we're arguing. Stop telling right. us to look for the real result. We want to theorize here. And it's so true, right. though. Th- there's a place for that. That's why those guys are geniuses at problem solving for things that they can't yet try right in front of them. But you're right, absolutely. Doing that discomfort, going towards what's uncomfortable. And then we said earlier that willpower is not sustainable. How do we sort of reconcile that? Because if willpower is not sustainable and we're constantly doing uncomfortable things all day, where do we get the gas to continue to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something we work on as well, right? So 
example, right? You come home after a long day, you're working after a long day, and a part of you wants to reward yourself. Part of you wants to treat yourself. I want to crack is- a beer open, man, but beer's not in my diet. What do I do? I'm wiped. I made a million decisions today. Exactly, right? So a part of us wants that reward. For many people, it's an aha moment, right? Why do we eat after a long day? Because we crave a reward. Yeah. So the key question is how else can you treat? How else can you reward yourself on a daily and weekly basis, right? So I'm a huge fan of conditional rewards. If I do X, then I get to do Y, right? So I have daily treats and I have weekly treats. There's nothing worse than watching TV and feeling guilty about it. There's nothing worse than being on Facebook and feeling guilty about it, right? So these things like that, instead of feeling guilty about it, I set myself up to enjoy them. So if I do X amount of tasks, if I eat well, if I exercise, if I do my tasks for my business that I set out to do, then I can enjoy going on Facebook guilt-free. Then I can watch TV for a few hours guilt-free. If I do my daily tasks, then I have weekly tasks or weekly rewards that I get to enjoy. And having these things is so key because if you're work, 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 and you're making all these decisions and you're never treating yourself or feeling what is like a treat, then you're not going to be able to stick with it. So, all right. So now that we want to change ourselves, we're aware of some of our negative cognitive biases and stuff like that, bad processes, people sabotaging us, us sabotaging ourselves. What's the danger here in trying to change everything at once? Because it seems common sense not to do that, but it's also probably something that people do all the time. Like, I'm going to quit smoking, and I'm going to quit drinking, and I'm never going to eat fast food again, and I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to drink a gallon of water every hour, and I'm also going to bike to work and buy all this fitness gear. And and then you do it for a day, and you're like, F this, this blows. Yeah, you sound like many people that email me, and they're like, you know, you're going to be so proud of me. Basically, exactly what you said. I started exercising for two hours every day. You know, I only eat chicken and lettuce for every meal. And I'm like, oh, God, because I know that's not sustainable. Right. You're going to email them next week and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I fell off that wagon on Friday. Right. Well, these are people, you know, that know about me or whatever. And, you know, they're not clients. And I would never let my clients do that because there's a reason. And, you know, we're all what's known as cognitive advisors. We all have only so much cognition, so much willpower. And we cannot change everything at once. We try to change everything at once. We wind up changing nothing at all. So I prefer when we're trying to make any big changes in our life is to really start with ourselves. And that's why I just love health and fitness because when you focus on that and things that are most in your control and you really start changing that and making those changes and seeing the changes, again, it just spirals into so many other areas of your life. That is so key and so critical. So, you know, always start small and always start with the things you can change most, right? Because your diet and exercise is things that you are in control of. There's no question about it. Excellent. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate all of this advice. I think there's a lot here. Do you want to leave us with anything? Hopefully people are feeling like they have a lot of knowledge. Um, but as you know, knowledge without action is useless. Yes. Unless you're in jeopardy, it is absolutely useless. Yeah, good point. Literally playing jeopardy. Yeah, it wasn't that point. It's okay. Um, <laughs> so the key is you know, making sure you implement something. Getting the help of a coach, getting accountability, having support of someone who truly cares really makes a huge difference because it's so easy to rationalize and make excuses. It really is. All of us do it. We, you know, that's why the best people in the world have coaches. It just raises your game. Yeah, um, so. absolutely. Tiger Woods has a coach. Michael Jordan has a coach. Every pro athlete you know that's a superstar or any pro athlete at any level, any, all amateur athletes, they all have more than one coach. And right. you're an average Joe who's lacking in an area and you don't want to hire a coach. It's such a toxic mindset because what it says is, my ego hurts more than hiring somebody to get 
past this problem, right? So the problem hurts less than my ego would if I hired someone to help me with this. This is probably the most frustrating thing because, you know, like you, I believe in what I do more than anything else. I truly believe that if someone signs up for my program, they're going to see results and they're going to be able to keep those results for the rest of their life. It's not just about losing weight and then gaining it all back. But there are so many people that would truly rather jog in place, quote unquote, than actually get the help they need and never have to think about it again and live their life being healthy and fit. It's just part of them for some reason you know, it's their ego. And I've written an article about this. They can't, for some reason, they think it's a virtue to just be able to do it all on their own. Meanwhile, they're losing weight and they're gaining weight. They're losing weight and they're gaining weight, right? Or they're struggling with their business or they're struggling with relationships, whatever it might be. And again, that's a big part of cognitive dissonance and just, you know, really doing the easiest thing of all, which is nothing, right? Why wouldn't someone sign up for a program that is promising to work? This is fascinating, right? Why wouldn't you sign up for a program that's promising to work? Because ultimately, there's a lot of fear in there. That's why it's so powerful to understand that. And, you know, there's a lot more to it. But when someone's presenting you with something that potentially can work, you know, and you're looking for every reason in the world to not take action, that says a lot about you. And it's definitely worth exploring that a little more, you know. And before I keep on going, I put together a lot of stuff and bonuses uh, for your listeners. Where can we find them? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> um, they can go to mybodytutor.com slash art of charm. So it's mybodytutor.com slash art of charm. There's a newsletter sign up. They can, you know, put their name and email in the box and uh, I will send them some great stuff that we didn't get to talk about. And uh, I think uh, they'll really enjoy it. Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes. It's not going to be a bunch of selfies of you in your bathroom mirror, is it? Well, that's every other uh, email. Every other email newsletter <laughs> at the bottom. If you scroll all the way down at the bottom, it's the selfie yeah. of the day, right? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of fitness people that I think it's such a cheap shot. It's so easy. It's like, oh, I'm ripped. These people, it's like, oh, they just post a picture. Like, I think, you know, it's easier or more effective um, to lead with your content, not your pictures. Yeah. I mean, show your client. If your clients are ripped, then put pictures of them up there. But I don't need to see what you look like, Mr. Genetically, you know, predisposed. I, I quote unquote sell my my prospective clients on the results we get and as you do. And, you know, I think that's the only way to do it, really, I think. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Adam. Much appreciated. MyBodyTutor.com slash The Art of Charm. Loved this show. I love the psychology behind it. Much more important than anything else. It's always the mind that influences the actions that influence the results. And you heard it here with weight loss and you've heard it from me a million times with social skills and in business. So thanks so much, man. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I told you guys it was going to be more about psychology than about weight loss. I really like how we can use discomfort as our compass, and I loved that little trick. Am I really hungry? Would I eat broccoli or cauliflower right now or carrot sticks? Honestly, just pick something you don't love, and it's pretty easy. I feel like I can use that right now literally every day for the rest of my entire life. I love it. We also covered a lot about why people sabotage us and why we sabotage ourselves. This applies in dating, love, relationships, business, as well as fitness and weight loss, pretty much any area of your life. I can't think of an area where this does not actually apply. Of course, why consistency is so hard, even though we know it's the key to success. Now that you're aware of it, I think you can overcome that or at least spot it when it's happening and short circuit that process. And of course, all those mental roadblocks and limiting beliefs and how those hold us back, awareness again is really the key. Oh, but before I go, don't forget your bonuses at mybodytutor.com slash theartofcharm. Due to popular demand, we got fashion tips from my man Aaron Marino from imalphaM.com. 
he's going to be dropping some knowledge on us to learn how to dress our best. So here's a tip I feel like we gave seven plus years ago on the show, but still holds true. When I used to work on Wall Street, I used to have all these dress shirts and, you know, I'd tuck them in during the day. And then at night we'd be going out to happy hour, go to the bar and I'd just pull the shirt out and there we go. And it would be a little wrinkled, maybe, maybe not, depending on the fabric. I still see that. Is it, The problem is I feel like a lot of dress shirts are not meant to be worn out even though there's button-downs that are meant to be worn out. Absolutely. Button-down shirts, if it's a dress shirt and you're tucking it in, chances are it's going to be too long. It's going to be coming well beyond the end point of your crotch, covering your butt. This is a dress shirt, okay? It's intended and designed to be tucked in so that it doesn't come untucked. All right, but the good news is that there are casual shirts that are button-ups that look just like dress shirts, but they're a little bit shorter, okay? When you're shopping, you're going to see a difference. If it's in plastic, it's a dress shirt. If it's hanging on a hanger, chances are you can wear it untucked. Excellent. So if you're able to tuck it in, it needs to be tucked in. If you're not, it's not cut that way, you can't leave it out. For more from Aaron Marino, search for Alpha M on YouTube or go to imalphaM.com. Solid show as usual, if I do say so myself. Show feedback and guest suggestions we rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details, that's our live training at theartofcharm.com. And that's also where you can find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss anything. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for The Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's it. You guys can also help us. If you subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, give us a five-star rating and write something nice. We'll love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash theartofcharm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily and get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing training from us. So tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com.